Wow, we just finished hosting our Lorehaven booth at the Teach Them Diligently Homeschool Conference in Round Rock, Texas. And it was amazing. We had James R. Hannibal, author of Wolf Soldier and the showrunner of the Light Raiders game franchise. We had Jamie Foley, who writes books for Fayette Press, as well as doing marketing for Enclave Publishing. And we had myself representing Lorehaven and Zach Russell stopping by with multiple interviews with other homeschooling publishers and authors and other vendors at the Teach Them Diligently conference. And you will get to hear each of those conversations on this episode of Fantastical Truth. It's Fantastical Truth, once again, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings joyfully to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher. I also co-authored the nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And fun fact, I was homeschooled all of my life through age 18. The first time I went into an arguable public school classroom was community college. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I guess you could say we are a hybrid homeschool family. We did homeschool for a number of years with our older kids. We put all of our kids in a charter school now, and uh, but we it's a half day, so we still get them in the mornings to uh, do a lot of schooling. But this is episode 106, What If Homeschool Families Can Help Christian Fantasy Grow for Generations? So this is going to be a fun conversation about what we experienced at the Teach Them Diligently conference and a lot of interviews that I conducted on site. I will toss out a quick concession here and say that homeschooling is not God's choice for every Christian family. It's not something that those serious Christians do and everyone else is a compromiser who uh, makes use of public schools, Christian schools, independent schools, something like that. But I have heard, Zach, increasingly more people whom I never thought would hear say this secularists, uh, humanist, more libertarian type folks, especially who are getting uh, mad about public schools and some of the teachings therein, they are saying, homeschool your kids, homeschool your kids. And I'm feeling kind of happy about my parents uh, who made this rather crazy decision back in the 1980s to do just that long before it got uh, as seemingly bad as it seems to be now in many areas of our culture. Yeah, you know, just a quick overview of some of the people I talked to yesterday. It it was mostly Christian authors and and book distributors and booksellers and some of them had books that are are more geared like that are directly about the Christian faith, some that are more subtle, but also some that are geared towards a kind of a wider slice of society that, you know, shares a lot of the same um conservative traditional values, um but maybe doesn't want um, you know, so content that's so heavy on religion but that Christians would still really enjoy because it really is, you know, it is developed from a Christian worldview. And that really gave me insight, Stephen, on the fact that of what you just said is that the homeschool movement is really expanding beyond just Christian families. It's going to much, very different families nowadays. And I read a statistic recently, there are 5 million uh, homeschool kids now in the U S and that, that has grown like astronomically from when we were kids. So it it's you know obviously taken off and uh, for practical reasons because of COVID, but I think COVID also you know let a lot of families look in on their uh, their local school and they said, well you know I'm, I'm not against schooling, but I don't know about this school or I don't know about this teacher, and uh, or you know what maybe I need to give more attention to my kids and for a variety of reasons a lot of people switched over, and so I I love that there's this whole conference for parents that want to take that step or that are already in that world and they want to get some resources. And one last thing, Stephen, that was really funny to observe. Okay. So we're, we're a family with four kids. 
And I, I expected that to kind of be the norm there. And I met so many families that are like, oh yeah, we got five, six, nine kids. And I'm like, this is great. I mean, like I, I love environments with big families because then, you know, for our kids, we're like, hey, we're, we're actually, you know, you might think we're in a big family, but you go to a homeschool convention and we're, uh, we're not, <laughs> we're a small family. And so that's great. I love it when people who are gifted by God with the resources and time and other gifts are able to have that many children. Uh, some people do that for particular religious reasons and they call that militant fecundity. But I think even then God can use those family choices uh, to glorify himself. And often it does turn out pretty well. You get kind of these homeschool family dynasties and kind of ministries of their own. Uh, I would think that teach them diligently it might, may count as one of those. Uh, this is not, by the way, the first uh, such conference that I've attended. I think the first teach them diligently conference I went to was actually in 2019. So before all of the pandemic lockdown stuff, I went and joined the Realm Makers bookstore. I, I don't think it was teach them diligently. It was another homeschool conference in Fort Worth in 2019. And then I realized, wow, this, this is amazing. We met so many families, so many people who are already interested in these kinds of books. Like people's eyes go wide when we step in front of the booth and say, hi, we're Realm Makers Bookstore. Uh, what do your kids read? Uh, we have all Christian authors, fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. And we've had a previous uh, podcast episode about that, Zaka, after we went to the Florida conference in May of 2021. I'm still hoping to go back this year, by the way. But anyway, after that first event, I ended up uh, setting up my own Lorehaven booth. I'm pretty sure it was a Teach Them Diligently conference about a couple of hours from here, uh, where we live in Central Texas. Uh, they were in Waco at the time. And once they started uh, building this uh, Kalahari Resort in Round Rock, I remember looking at this huge complex going up and thinking, wow, that looks like that could be a good venue for a homeschool conference. Oh, man, someday. that place was gigantic. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it is indeed a gargantuan facility. And it's got, I think, the, the largest indoor water park or something on yeah. one end of the building. Uh, and then this enormous hotel in the, uh, in the other end. Yeah. You know, I grew up as a kid uh, here in Central Texas going to New Braunfels to uh, Schlitterbahn. And so that was the, uh, the destination of choice for all middle school and high school kids that, you know, during hot Texas summers, it was, it just blew my mind to go to a place with the water park where you're indoors and you get to walk through, you know, these air conditioned hallways and, uh, you know, the kind of the elevator music or whatever. And yet there I was getting pizza and people come in, you know, I'm just in normal clothes and people come in in their swimsuits and barefoot or flip-flops or whatever. And it was just like, this is pretty cool. Like this is blowing my mind. But, you know, uh, if you are a homeschool parent, homeschool family, welcome to the podcast. We, we hope you pull up a seat and enjoy these conversations we're going to have. Stephen, a, a big theme of my interviews yesterday was I asked these different authors or booksellers, you know, why use stories? Like, especially when we, many of these authors and booksellers were developing nonfiction lesson curriculum that went along with their novels, like whether their novels were about dragons or time travel or knights in armor or science fiction or or kind of urban fantasy, epic fantasy, you know, in, in every case, I'm like, why develop stories? Like, wh why use that when you've already got the lesson plans? And so that, that was kind of the overarching theme of like, why use stories in, in, you know, discipling your kids and teaching your kids. I think if you're a parent, you're really going to enjoy these conversations and, you know, may, maybe you're not a big fantasy reader, but your kids might be, or they, maybe they already were, and you're just looking for some new stories. So I, I think this is going to be a, a really fun conversation. Well, speaking of new stories, this is one of those rare examples of a Fantastical Truth episode where most of the content is going to be completely new to me. 
folks, Zach did all of the legwork on this. Uh, he arrived with all of his equipment and set up at the Lorehaven side of the booth and was doing these conversations while I'm at the other side of the booth and helping out with some of our guest authors, uh, James Hannibal, uh, Jamie Foley, and their families who were there. We talked to so many people who are not passing by the booth and, and giving what you might expect if you're less familiar with homeschooling or if your information is out of date. You may expect people to give the fantasy booth, you know, the weird one uh, with the uh, with a teenage boy with a live dragon on his shoulder. Yes, we had one of those. You might expect them to give it a wide berth, uh, maybe put up the, the sign of the cross with their fingers, you know, to ward <laughs> off the Dracula or something. Uh, that's that's nonsense. That's no longer the case. So certainly not at this conference and certainly not at many of the other conferences that I've attended. I'm sure some of those uh, beliefs are still out there and we want to respect those. But here people are looking for Christian made fantasy. We can tell them, hey, these books are not you know, textbooks. Uh, they are not preaching at you, but they do have a Christian worldview at their foundation. They're all by Christian authors. And of course, two of those authors were here with us at the time, you know, nonfiction Z. Stephen Burnett, uh, as well as fantasy authors James R. Hannibal and Jamie Foley. Uh, James was there with his Light Raiders game. Uh, he has several now affiliate games uh, for which they've done fundraising, and he was able to show off the dice and the game board and explain how it works with the scripture memory and all of that. Uh, we actually stayed up late on a Friday night, uh, well, <laughs> late by conference hours anyway, for homeschool conference hours. It <laughs> felt late at the time. Uh, we actually managed to get a room and uh, do kind of a beta test of the Light Raiders game. Oh, uh, cool. Which is the what, new, what was that like? Uh, it was great. Uh, it's the new version of Dragon Raid. So it's not like he got out, you know, the 1984, you know, red box of the Dragon Raid game that we've talked about elsewhere on the podcast. Uh, he was getting out the new version. So these are kind of homemade items, you know, 3D printed tokens, uh, but all of the scripts for the game has been done. You just, you sit around the table, you know, he kind of had little sheets uh, with the stats pre-filled in just to give a quick start to, to everybody who's there, especially if you're new to tabletop stuff like I am, by the way, I'm, I'm still pretty new to that, but it was, it was really fun. And you can see how the scripture memory test is integrated into the game. It's not a Dungeons and Dragons ripoff. In fact, uh, he very happily tells the uh, the account of Gary Gygax, the drag uh, Dungeons and Dragons guy, approaching uh, the original Dragon Raid creator Dick Wolf at a conference, thanking him for not ripping off D and D back in the day. Well, that's right. That that's been my observation. It's not a Christian Dungeons and Dragons. No, it's a if you like D and D version. Me. Yeah, yeah, it's a role playing version of Awanas. Yes, yes, exactly. And by the way, uh, James likes that line, and he repeated yeah. that quite a few <laughs> times to folks who are very interested in this. They want to enjoy God's gift of imagination while also exploring His Word and applying these verses in context to these imagined scenarios as part of this uh, fantasy adventure that everyone's playing out around the table. And I think that's a great way to enjoy fantasies, as I've said, as discipleship. I don't like fantasy that preaches at you, not because I don't like preaching, but because the job of preaching belongs to the preacher. That is Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you know, Bible study stuff. That is how God communicates his word to our heads and hearts. But stories have a different goal. They function secondarily uh, as a means of discipleship if they're well-made and if they're created by a Christian who wants to glorify God actively through the excellence of the storytelling experience. Well, since we were kind of two sides of the same coin here, you know, I, I missed a lot of the conversations you had, Stephen, because uh, I wasn't able to make it until that last day. So, so tell me about what were some of the highlights from your conversations at the booth, uh, especially on Thursday and Friday before I was able to make it there, uh, what were some memorable moments that you uh, that you had talking with either James or Jamie or just parents that stopped by the booth? 
Absolutely. Uh, probably the, the best experience I had uh, at first was simply doing my presentation, which is at noon on Thursday. We didn't even have the booth up yet uh, because some of our folks weren't in town so far and uh, the exhibit hall had not yet opened. But I did a presentation called uh, Why Do Your Kids Need Fantastical Stories for God's Glory? And we had a good, uh, I'd say like a couple dozen people in there. So it's a good group that doesn't make me feel alone in the room, you know, which can be awkward for public speaking but not so large that it uh, prevented interactivity. You know, I could speak for about an hour uh, going through the scripture about how fantasy is a unique way that we appreciate God, Jesus's heroism, and our mission in the world. And I kind of went through, and I'll admit, I was talking about this view of fantasy in contrast to the view that fantasy is a tool to hammer bad agendas into your kids' heads. And yes, we did drop the D word Disney quite a few times <laughs> and talk about what all nonsense they're up to now. Uh, apparently not just trying to promote neutral, wholesome entertainment for the kids that you can put it on the TV and then leave the room. Uh, now you've actually got Disney creators caught in the act saying we want to make half of our characters basically agenda characters in order to yeah. reproduce our uh, particular uh, sex emphasizing cult. And this is something that could, I think, uh, play a little too well uh, with a Christian audience. But I didn't mind going there and saying, no, guys, I think I think they really are after the kids. You know, we still need to love our enemies, but this means that we need to be better prepared to engage our world, to engage the reasons that God has given us the ability to make and share and enjoy these stories. And we just had a lot of really good uh, conversations about that. Just a couple of Q&A uh, about the purpose of fantasy and a lot of people who I realize already know that their kids are going are, are enjoying these stories. You know, one person told me that she came in thinking, well, this maybe this is something I can consider for my kids. But then she realized her kids are already enjoying fantasy, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's uh, Christian made or otherwise, like it's going to get in there one way or another. And I think that God gives us the gift of fantastic imagination, that it's something we're always going to make up. Like if we were locked inside a biosphere or something. It's just something humans are going to do. We're going to feel that impulse to create, to imagine, and we don't know why. And so I go to scripture and go, well, here's why. Here's why. Uh, God has given us this gift to glorify him. We had people coming by the booth. Uh, I've sold a few copies of the, the Pop Culture Parents, uh, my book with uh, Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. And people just happen to see like, wow, like this, this really meets a need, you know, going through the purpose of popular culture, including fantasy imagination and trying to understand that biblically and helping to train our kids uh, from a young age uh, up through adulthood and not just walling it all off as idolatry, uh, but not just accepting it all as common grace either. James and them, they would have some amazing stories to tell when we talked to them about the many, many families uh, to whom they spoke and the many people who came up to uh, Jamie and what were buying her books or, or buying books from Enclave Publishing, all, all Christian made fantasy and sci-fi. I'm so optimistic right now, Stephen, about the state of Christian fantasy and science fiction. I, I think there is going to be a massive, massive demand for it. Again, this is this is my hopeful, optimistic side uh, because of what you, you know the big D word you mentioned, Disney. Uh, Disney has become so such a toxic brand recently. You know, not content to just kind of subtly weave in their values, but just overtly becoming political actors. There are so many people that might not even totally disagree with Disney, but they get so turned off when corporations do this, when, when they take this hard stance and just draw a line in the sand and say, on this side are our enemies, on this side are our allies, and we're going to fight to the death over whatever this issue is. 
that turns a lot of people off. Like a lot of people just want to go enjoy the products or services of a company and not think about what it is that they want to get so involved with politically. I mean, politics is so it's, it's messy and it, and it, it, a lot of people just don't want anything to do with it, whatever their values are. But at the same time, Disney has really instilled this, this hunger and this desire for fairy tales, fantastical stories, science fiction. And so where are we going to go now? (laughs) You know, where are we parents going to go that are canceling Disney? I I haven't canceled it yet, but there's a lot of people that have canceled it or didn't have it in the first place or wish they could cancel it again. And so where are they going to go now for stories, especially with as hard as it is to get visual stories made on the big screen or the streaming screen? We're going to go to books. (laughs) We're going to go to new books or old books. Christian authors, this this is just such a, a golden age, I think. I think it's going to be the second golden age. of. of and we'll talk about the first golden age later with one of my guests. That's what I hope to see happen. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what shakes out. What were some of the memorable moments with uh, with uh, Jamie from Enclave and obviously representing her own books or, or James? You, know, you mentioned there was a couple, uh, a lot of conversations they were having with people. I, I got to overhear James explaining uh, Light Raiders to someone. But in any moments from uh, your interactions with them that you can talk about. I just love seeing the kids' faces when they see the dragon uh, perched on <laughs> top of the shoulder of uh, James's son. And we're just going to say that, yes, that is a real dragon or a para dragon, as uh, he has it uh, reckoned in his uh, Light Raiders world. It turns its head. It, it looks at you. And it's just a sweet little furry dragon. And the children just go, whoa. And they aren't sure whether they're allowed to touch it. <laughs> and of course, it's it's great. To, I don't know if this is the official phrase, but it's it's great booth bait, you know, for yeah. starting those conversations uh, and then asking, like, "Hey, do you like dragons? Do you like fantasy? You know, well, here's Light Raiders. It's all about the scripture memory while you're playing through, you know, these cards and these dice and all of that." And then you get uh, generally older older kids uh, who come by, like some of whom already uh, know Jamie because she actually lives around in this area. Uh, or they're familiar with Lorehaven because they've been to previous homeschool conferences where we featured, or they're familiar with Realm Makers because uh, usually when I'm going to a conference, it's at the Realm Makers bookstore. So a lot of them are coming back for seconds and thirds and fourths of uh, several of the book series that they've gotten acquainted with. And you have these beautiful covers, a lot of them hardcover uh, from Enclave Publishing featured right out there in front, uh, along with uh, Jamie's own books, Ember Hawk and Silver Blood and uh, some of those, uh, the, her Sentinel trilogy. I saw lots of people walking out with trilogies. Like James has multiple trilogies across uh, some, several genres, including some uh, middle grade fiction as well as YA and then some you know, grown up military thrillers. So people were getting all of those, but certainly at a homeschool conference, most folks are there looking for stuff for their kids. So they're, they're walking out with, uh, with several of Jamie's books. And of course, if you're an author there who's able to sign your book and talk about how much fun stories can be, especially when you're reading them, but also if you happen to enjoy writing them, uh, that just helps the kids even more. And I can't even think of a particular scenario. That's just the sort of thing I've grown to expect at these kinds of events. By the way, these kind of events uh, do take a toll. Uh, afterwards, you have to kind of retreat to the Lorehaven Recording Studio and take some time to yourself. So that's what Zach and I are doing. And we're also taking some time for ourselves in this episode for our sponsor. The sponsor for this episode is once more the Lorehaven Guild. And I'm saying this because as of this episode's release date, we have just wrapped our March book quest for The Seventh Sun by Lonnie Forbes. Actually, because of this event, uh, True Confession here ended up going overtime by a few days for that book. Just posted the uh, last questions on Saturday. 
But our next book quest already underway is for the Green Ember S.D. Smith's uh, fantasy series with talking rabbits joining a resistance to fight for the restoration of the forest. We had S.D. Smith on Fantastical Truth back in February, and we just decided, you know, it's a great time with spring in the air. And a lot of people are thinking about wabbits at this time of year because somehow that got associated with Resurrection Sunday. Our writer at Lorehaven, Elijah David, is leading this quest through S.D. Smith's The Green Ember at the Lorehaven Guild, which is a Discord community exclusive to those who subscribe to Lorehaven. So just go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe, input your name. It's free, of course. You will get whatever notifications you choose for all of our new Lorehaven content, as well as your super secret access code to join the Lorehaven Guild community, which already has uh, several new members after we were talking about it at the conference, by the way, Zach. Uh, I'm there in real life and then seeing people enter the virtual space of the Lorehaven Guild. So we're glad to meet new friends and find this new uh, digital way to engage these books that doesn't require you to go to a specific place in real life once every week. It can just be always on in the background, uh, probably one of the better uses of social media to join other Christians to discern and enjoy a Christian-made fantastical work together. Yeah, this really is our community that we're, we're trying to curate a very unique place where it's, it's for uh, book lovers. You know, it, it's a place to discuss books and we have a book every month, but also we're talking about all kinds of books that we love to read and, and that maybe have challenged us or, or that we just keep going back to over and over again, like comfort food, because it's just such a fun story. And I, I love it, Stephen. I love that I can always go there to, to jump in a conversation about a story, either a new story or an old story. I remember when I was really getting into Christian fantasy as a genre a few years back, it was just so hard to find people that would talk about this, that first of all, they wouldn't talk about books at all, especially if it was this month of another year because it's March Madness. And, you know, that's a fandom I, I don't hate, or I, I just have no clue about. I don't know anything about. And uh, someone asked me the other day, well, how's your bracket doing? I'm like, I, have, I wouldn't know where to start with the bracket. I mean, I love to watch basketball with Paxton because he's big into basketball, but I, I don't know what any of it means. I, the only sport I follow is Aggie football, as I've said before. If your fandom is reading these kind of books, then I think it's going to be a place you'll enjoy. Well, speaking of jumping into those conversations, I'm eager to hear your conversations myself, Zach. So let's jump into the TARDIS or whatever time transport method you prefer. Rewind to just a couple of days to when Teach Them Diligently was still in the present and enjoy those conversations that you had with several creators of those Christian-made resources for homeschool families. Well, I am here with Jonathan Cox from Brave Books. Thanks so much for joining us, Jonathan. Um, tell us more about yourself and uh, Brave Books. Well, first, thank you, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Um, so, my name is Jonathan. I'm uh, kind of all over the place when it comes to what I do at Brave Books, but we help to develop a a book that will help parents to teach complex topics to their children. And so, our first book is over gender identity. And we don't want to be intrusive because no one really wants to talk about these topics in today's society. Because why? Why would you? Why would you want to do that? Um, so we realize that if we don't, as parents, teach our children, culture's going to, and they're going to make the first move, and then that's going to be embedded in the kids' perception of what uh, the gender movement is, and then and then that, that just messes up their logical paradigm, and we don't like that. So we have spent hours and hours of research really months of research when it comes to understanding a topic and then we try to make a fun creative story for parents to be able to read to their kids so that kids can have a proper paradigm of how to deal with the idea of gender identity 
Uh, and that's, that's, we do that for every topic, every topic that we'll dive into CRT, we'll dive into cancel culture, um, the idea of truth and freedom and the Second Amendment. We'll go all over the place and look at what's big in culture and what's kind of being destroyed by, by modern pop col- culture today. Mm-hmm. And then how can we teach it biblically to, to children? Now, the, the first book that came out was uh, Elephants Are Not Birds. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and it was Ashley St. Clair, I think, was the, the author of that? Yes. Okay, yeah, I originally heard about that uh, a while ago. And so um, so tell me about, like, what's the basic story of that book? So the basic story is there's an elephant named uh, Kevin, and he really likes to sing. And then there's a, there's, a cult, there's a vulture named Culture, and he comes and then tells elephants that really only birds sing, uh, not elephants. And so then he starts to make Kevin believe that because he sings that he's really a bird inside of an elephant's body oh that's great yeah yeah i mean i, I can immediately see the connection you know I, i've heard it said uh chauvinism said uh women should do the dishes and feminism said men should do the dishes but then gender identity says whoever does the dishes is a woman yeah. so it's, it's kind of the same thing it's like you know the, yes. these very like stereotypical ways of looking at men and women are what define them oh gosh and so that that's great so so this is a story, though, that you're teaching these truths about where we find our actual identity. Yes. And, and, but yes. What, what, you know, these kind of messages we get from culture. So why did you guys decide to use a story to kind of convey these ideas? Well, it seems that whenever you build a story, you're building a logical p- structure for, for children. Um, and so they're going to view life through those lens. And so they're going to do that whether you're getting it from, from television, whether they're getting stories from you, from stories from the, the children books they're reading at school, from their cartoons. It's all going to build a, a paradigm for how they view life. And what we saw was so powerful with stories and with illustrations is you can build really whatever paradigm you want to with your kids. And that's, that's important for you as parents because that's your obligation and duty. You, you have to prepare them for society, prepare them for the real world. And it just seems like if you're not, culture's getting to them first. And, they're, and it's so subjective, it's so wishy-washy that there's nothing solid to stand on. And it seems with, with story, it's the best way to do that, and kids receive it really well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what I believe, that stories, especially these kind of fantastical stories with talking animals, they're so memorable. And that's how you remember important lessons and, and truths and stuff. So tell me about some of the other books you guys have, besides the identity issues, what are some, tell me about some of the stories that portray these different ideas? Yeah, so our, our next book would be, we've, we've put out 10 books uh, so far and put out a new book every month. And so the book after the first one is the, about sanctity of life. The next one's about capitalism versus communism. The fourth one's about cancel culture. The fifth one's about uh, critical race theory. The sixth one's about uh, the Second Amendment. And, and th- that one's a really easy one to, to dive into, the Second Amendment. And so you have this town and they have um, these gorillas and di- just different animals, yaks and, and bunnies and whatnot. And they have something called these coconut cannons. And so Bongo really likes his coconut cannons. And then one day a uh, hyena comes in and then takes Bongo's food, which he's, he's very much in love with. And then the hyena shoots Bongo on the head with, with a coconut uh, cannon. And, <laughs> and like, so Bongo is, is upset and startled. And then um, his friend is upset that that the hyena came and shot him with a coconut cannon. And so then she said, okay, it's the coconut cannon's fault oh. that, that this is happening. And so yeah. then Bongo's like, I don't think so. Like, I, like uh, that's not what happened. If I would have used mine, I could have defended myself. And so then the town splits in two, and there's this bridge that goes over this river, and they decide to destroy the bridge. And so that if you want a coconut cannon, you'll live on this side. If you don't want a coconut cannon, you'll live on this side. And then immediately after that, 
you have a whole group of hyenas that hear that this group doesn't have any coconut cannons to defend themselves. And so then they come in and then they use their coconut cannons to steal all the food from the other ones. Oh no. <laughs> and so then the, the other half of the, of the, uh, the town decide that it's not right for them to let that happen. And so they come through and then start de defeating the, the hyenas, just showing that having a weapon to defend yourself is, is vital. And that's why it was in the Constitution. That's why it was, it was laid out. And it's just a simple story, but once you put it in those simple terms, it's easy for kids and even, uh, even liberal adults to understand. So that's... Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, the, these concepts have been part of our country for hundreds of years, but it does seem in the last few years, few decades, it's, they're all being upended. They're all being, you know, questioned and interrogated and whatever. And it, you know, they're becoming problematic. You know, that's the big word. You can meet those objections with logical arguments and those are very needed. But, you know, stories are a great way to just show uh, here's what it actually looks like. If you take this argument and put it in the sort of the talking animal kingdom with coconut cannons, man, now I really want a coconut cannon. Uh, <laughs> I think we should, uh, I think we should, someone should invent that. Uh, that, that. That sounds like really fun. We're, we're working on it, actually. <laughs> Uh, another thing with, with the age groups we're working with from, from 4 to 12 years old, we realize that if you try to tell a story to, well, 12-year-old, there's an exception there, even 10 to 12. Whenever you try to tell the story from a person's perspective, they're so egocentric that it's hard for them to understand what you're saying. But for some reason, and I don't know why, whenever you put it in the perspective of animals, mm. they completely understand it, which is, which is so strange. But we want to use it to our advantage to be able to teach complex topics, and it seems to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Disney does that. They figured that out a long time ago that oh, you have gosh. these uh, these animals that, you know, tell you uh, timeless truths like follow your heart, you know. Oh, that works <laughs> out really well. Yeah. Or, or my, my biggest issue and my background being in psychology, hearing the, the, the phrase happily ever after, like as soon as I get married, as, as if as soon as you get married, all of your problems are gone, life is going to be easy. And then you just see this huge divorce rate. And these people that go into marriage that, that think that, oh, as soon as you get married, there's not going to have to be any work. There's not going to have to be any change. Disney has been one of the most harmful things, I think, to society. And, and I think that's, that's powerful because they're so big now. And, and people don't really, even though they make great quality content, the moral foundation is just lacking. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's further eroding and it's very rapidly mm -hmm. eroding. And so it, it's great to see uh, companies like y'all putting out original things for young children. I think that's what's so unique about you guys is that, you know, these are as low as age four. You know, these are really simple stories that kids can understand. And then it sort of sticks with them. It's like, yeah, may, maybe these, uh, you know, ideas I'm getting from Disney aren't the best ideas. And they start to kind of compare these stories together because that's how kids think on the level of stories. Yeah. You know, my, my kids, I've, I've got four kids and they... You know, they love Paw Patrol, you know, and, and Paw Patrol is a, you know, it's a pretty good story, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what sticks with them. And they, they go play Paw Patrol. They, they, they've got all the figurines and they, you know, they watch all the cartoons and, you know, the cartoons tell them, oh, you got to go buy a new toy now, of course. And it's okay. That's fair. But so maybe, you know, coconut cannons and, uh, you know, it could be something <laughs> you guys could think of as like an, as a toy, maybe, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's, uh, but yeah, you know, it, but my point is that the kids not only love to hear stories and hear the same stories over and over again, they want to mm. act out the stories, yes. you know, and, it, and it's through that acting, it's through that portrayal that that really cements in their head how life works. Yeah. And so I, I love that you guys have really leaned into that. Well, tell our listeners, how can they find your books in, um, where, where can they find you guys? Yeah, so you can find our books on bravebooks.com. 
Uh, we're not on Amazon due to, you know, we, we're get kicked off if we put a bunch of books on gender up there. Uh, but you can go to bravebooks.com and the, the way it works is we're subscription based or you can buy single purchase or you can buy an, an annual subscription. Uh, and all the details will be on the website. Uh, I, I highly encourage going and just like looking at what topics do you think uh, you need to teach your kids. And the real goal is to provide parents with the with the ability, with the tools necessary to be able to teach these complex topics. So we, we spend hours researching them and then providing the best equipment we can to you so that you can teach them because parents just aren't equipped today and kids need it. If we don't get to them first, then culture will. Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Zach. Well, I'm here now with Aaron Grubin, an author of fantasy, science fiction, time travel, history. And he's going to talk to us about his books. And uh, we're going to talk about chivalry. And I, I wish you could see Aaron because he's got this awesome outfit, a knight's outfit, complete with a sword and a helmet. And so he looks like he has time traveled from the past to the present. Uh, I'm very jealous uh, of this outfit. So, uh, Aaron, why don't you tell us about yourself and what do you write? Oh, thank you very much. It's good, good to meet you, Zach. Uh, so, I am uh, Aaron Grubin. I'm actually a, a veterinarian in my not writing life. Um, so, I, I, uh, I love history and um, science fiction and fantasy. So, I kind of incorporate all of those into my writing. Um, one of the things that gets me excited is the commandments of chivalry that we've um, uh, forgotten a lot of uh, by, by now. Um, so there's a gentleman named Leon Gautier in the 1800s who codified chivalry in the Ten Commandments. So oh, okay. I try to, try to take his commandments of chivalry and kind of incorporate those into my writing a lot of times. That's great. Um, I've been writing a lot of time travel books. Uh, one, one thing that's a little bit different in my time travel books is the... Um, uh, idea of, of temporal amnesia so I'm kind of a, more of a medical medical background than engineering um, so I started thinking about what time travel might do to your mind um, so that if you if you end up in in uh, the past too long you might start forgetting who you are and and your brain makes up a whole different um, background and you can get lost in the past so that might be time travelers lost in all kinds of centuries that we don't know about because they never came back and forgot who they are. Wow. So it, yeah, it affects not just where you are, but how you think of yourself and uh, where you think you belong. And then finally you, you become what you what, Yeah. Something yeah, else. That's really exactly cool. Exactly right. That's, that's why we don't know about time travel right now. It's around, <laughs> but there's the time travelers that have forgotten who they are. So. <laughs> that's great. I like that theory. Uh, so tell me about uh, wh- chivalry. So why, why make that a theme, and, and wh- what do you mean by chivalry? Oh, good question. Um, so I guess the very simplest definition I can think of uh, for chivalry is, is codified Christian servanthood. So the whole point of chivalry is to help you be a good, strong Christian servant. Um, and the, the code of chivalry uh, in, incorporated all kinds of things uh, in the past, uh, anything from defending the church to um, what we always think of as um, defending defending uh, widows and orphans and, and things like that. That's an important part of chivalry also. Um, the Crusades had a lot to do with chivalry. I end up fi- writing quite a bit about the Crusades in some of my writing too, um, which gets um, to the more controversial side of chivalry. It's, it's fun to write about just because there's a lot of um, there are good things and bad things to write about yeah. and distinguishing the the historical aspects of chivalry from the ideals behind chivalry, which sometimes were different. So, so yeah, it, chivalry is, is a, a, a big code that, that uh, developed over hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and it meant a whole lot more than we think of now. So, 
it, it's exciting to kind of rethink of how it, it might be useful, especially the ideals behind it um, to live today. So tell me about this uh, fantasy time travel book. Uh, you, you mentioned it to me off the air a little bit ago about Charles Dickens finding a hand grenade or something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the second time travel book in the, the series I've been writing, uh, and it's uh, it's called Fatal Fogs. Uh, and at the, the start of the book, it's it's um, starts with that. The, there's a hand grenade on an illustration in a textbook about Charles Dickens, and it's on his desk, and they have to figure out why that oh, illustration happened. okay yeah. so not an actual grenade well yeah. it actually is a grenade oh, okay. um yeah yeah and, oh, there, i and hope so a holy hand grenade the, the, or a pretty much well so the grenade? um <laughs> yeah i'm trying not to give away too much story but yes yeah so the protagonist ends up ends up sending the hand grenade to himself um, there's oh. a little bit of time looping going on in this story um but yeah that and then the, one of the characters is an authoress back in charles dickens time and she wrote about this grenade on the desk and it ends up wow. it ends up uh, in in Cal's hands and they're trying to figure out why in the world a hand grenade showed up on Charles Dickens' desk. Uh, and then get embroiled in a mystery that involves Edwin Drood, the, the last novel that Dickens didn't finish. They start to conjecture about reasons he may not have finished it. Um, and and uh, temporal amnesia becomes an important part of that story too. So. Oh, that, that's a great aspect. You don't, yeah, like we were saying a minute ago, you don't usually see that in a time travel story. So who are these books for? Like what, what age group? What, what kind of person reads these books? Oh, good question. Um, you know, a lot of high schoolers like these books. So I kind of had um, high schoolers to, to adults kind of in mind um, in these books. Some kids younger than high school have, have enjoyed them too. Um, I, I had a few 12-year-olds really like these books yeah. too. So uh, why come to a homeschool conference to talk about fantasy time travel books? Well, that's a good question. Um, so... I was homeschooled. That's my, my background. Um, homeschool my kids, so it's kind of my my own culture that I'm used to. Um, but then a lot of uh, a lot of the same general um, uh, ideas that a lot of homeschoolers are uh, appreciate are in, in my stories as well. Uh, my characters, a lot of them were homeschooled, and, and um, so the main the protagonist is is a home, former homeschooler that went to vet school just like me. I figured you write about what you know. Um, there you so, go. <laughs> so kind of a. Uh, um, it's it's a, a market that that, that my, my characters will fit into. <laughs> well, that's cool. You know, there's not a lot of stories that you see or watch or, or listen to that are about a homeschool-educated child. It's usually like big high school, you know, prom, football, uh, lockers, all, all the kind of stereotypes of... Uh, high school shows so that's uh th- that's really cool that it's a homeschool character yep yep yeah the, the so at the end of this month i'll have another book out of of the first homeschool superhero oh uh, there so, we go and that, that one kind of fits into the, the fatal fogs book too um so uh, it's not sequential but it's in the same world and i intersperse a bunch of characters and make them trot across the same pages that's cool so tell us about some of the conversations you've had with parents or or teens here about your books had lots of different conversations, um, a, a lot like this one. We're talking about aspects of time travel and, and just uh, fun adventures. Um, a lot of people are interested in chivalry. Um, it's it's um, an exciting time to bring chivalry back into the world, I think. A lot Absolutely. of people want to um, want to uh, rediscover that. So I've had a lot of conversations, especially with parents, about that. My chivalry books are more like um, school studies, so they're kind of um, less exciting for the kids that come to the booth. So <laughs> I don't talk to those <laughs> them about that as much. Um, I'm wearing armor, like you mentioned. I have a have a spear and a sword and a helmet. So, I've been doing lots of uh, show and tell to uh, all the kids. Like to, to try on the chainmail and, and um, get to see all this stuff. Well, and, and then tell me about how your uh, your faith plays a part of your stories. 
my faith is is really um, integral in the stories, I suppose I'd say, just because it's what I believe. Um, so rather than specifically trying to preach it in my stories, it's just part of who I am. So it, it tends to come out in the characters um, uh, that are Christians anyway. Um, some of them aren't and some of them are. So. Um, uh, I try to try to incorporate my faith. Now, usually every single book I write, I have a, a moral of the story in mind as well, and, and some of those are, are uh, based on, on uh, matters of faith, and some of them aren't. So in, in Fatal Fogs, I was especially thinking about sovereignty and how God is sovereign over history and could be sovereign even over time travel. That, that's fascinating. Well, Aaron, where can our listeners uh, find you and your books? They're all on Amazon. Um, I also have my own uh, website. It's, my company is Post to Neighbors Books, um, and we've got a website, which is Post to Neighbors Books, books.com. Um, and I have a blog ado. You can find all my books on that, too. Uh, it's nmgrubens.com. Uh, it stands for New Mexico Grubens, G-R-U-B-E-N. Used to live in New Mexico until two years ago. So. <laughs> All right. Well, glad to have you here in the great state of Texas. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I've liked Texas. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Zach. I am talking now with Catherine Grubin-Smith, and she is the sister of the author we just talked to, Aaron Grubin. And so Catherine, or Katie as she goes by, is a author of uh, steampunk, dystopian, fairy tales, science fiction, fantasy, and spy thrillers. So all kinds of genres. This is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. So Katie, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hello. Thank you for letting me come and be here. I appreciate it. I am a mother of two. I love to sword fight with my brother when I have the chance, but we don't too often <laughs> Who with our children. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we love our board games. We, of course, love writing. It's an amazing blessing to be able to sit down and pound out ideas that will hopefully last throughout generations. Yeah, there you go. Now, did you and Aaron write stories a lot growing up? Did you write things together? We haven't yet. We keep talking about doing a crossover book, but I think we'll have to wait till some of the children grow up before okay. we'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> it is a challenge with young children to mm -hmm. uh, get anything done uh, outside the work hours and at home, especially creative work where you have to like really get into the, uh, the flow of things. So tell me about first about this spy thriller. I, I understand this is like a, it's more like a clean story. It, it's uh, yes. you know and there's there's kind of a dearth of those when you get into the spy. You know you think of James Bond or you think of spy versus spy. You think of all kinds of you know vices that might happen and, and content warnings. So it's true. But what's unique about your spy stories? My spy stories are unique partially because I really enjoy reading spy stories, but like you say, it's hard to find good ones. So I enjoyed writing ones that are both clean and good stories. And um, they're also character-based a little bit because that's one of my, the things I enjoy so much is creating characters and having them interact. So that's always an interesting thing. Also, it's fun with spy stories to be able to ha write a book where the heroes know what they're fighting for because in a lot of spy stories, there's always a, a reason behind the plot line, but often the, the author or the movie writer, whoever it is, hasn't really thought it through very well, but they're always portraying something. So it's always fun to be able to write one where you know where you're coming from and are able to tell the reader. There you go. Um, now, how does uh, steampunk uh, factor in? Tell me, tell me about that story. By the way, I wish we had a, this was a video podcast because you would see Katie's awesome uh, steampunk outfit here. Well, thank you. Complete with goggles and uh, cool, like, I guess it's like a pin uh, there <laughs> at the top of this yes. uh, kind of overcoat that you're wearing. Yes, the, the pendant is a raven because this is a series set in a 
world that has collapsed, this civilization has collapsed about 200 years before, and so they reset up civilization on different books, and oh. you have to have a book at the base of each kingdom to be able to survive, and the Bible is stolen, and so the two main characters end up having to try to restart their kingdom, and there's a mute musician who comes in to help them, and he is called the Raven, along with his chimera friend who helps him with all of his things. And in the course of that, you start realizing that he's much more than a musician, and that there's much interesting plot lines going on in the background that I can't talk about because then you would know the plot. Too many spoilers. Yeah. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so it's um, a bit steampunk and dystopian are two different genres that it would fall into. That one would be young adult. It's a little bit... Um, more intense than some of my other ones. So I would call that one young adult. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so books actually kind of empower these kingdoms and, and give yes. them like certain abilities or certain uh, um, it's, technology or something? It's The idea behind that is that if you don't have a book, then you're not allowed to exist in that world. So oh. they will, the other kingdoms will kind of gang up on you and uh, knock you out. So, But it's... Um, each one is based on the ideas of the particular book. So I like I have the Humanist Manifestos, and I ended up with Plato in there. Oh, the one I'm working on right now has Beowulf. That's been fun. Okay. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I really love stories, and especially books about books. I, yes, I think it's such a fun uh, it's kind of inception happening. Exactly. So. It's a book talking about how wonderful books are. There you go. And for all, all book readers and all book lovers, understand that. So. Exactly. It has a lot of eucatastrophe, especially towards the end. And now you've got uh, an elementary age and middle grade uh, series out, right? Yes, I have fairy tales, like the old style fairy with the F-A-E, not the other one. Okay. And <laughs> it's, um, those were a lot of fun to write because that's another genre I've always enjoyed. And it's hard to find fun ones because they're usually on one side of being too weird or one side of being just too fluffy. So yeah. it was very entertaining to get to write some that are just fun. And those are my elementary age ones. And then I have a fantasy sci-fi series that is, depends on the reading level, honestly, of the person who picks it up. But the five-book series that is written from different people's perspectives. So that was fun. It's um, from, yes, it has, it has first-person um, discussions in it all the way through. That's how I tell the story, but it's different people that tell it. Now, when I talked to your brother a minute ago, he mentioned uh, chivalry. It was kind of his overarching theme, and he's got, I guess, some nonfiction books about chivalry, the Ten Commandments of Chivalry. What would you say are some of the overarching themes of your stories? Overarching things of my stories would be Christianity in general, just because that is the real reality of the world, so that's what we all live in. Mm -hmm. So that is um, all of it. But for the main part, I think just main stories. Yeah. I like telling stories. And it's very fun, and I like having a, a good plot line. And I also really enjoy playing with characters. All of mine, I say, would say, are pretty character-based. You know, that, that's so true. We said a minute ago about... Um, there was an, an interview with Jordan Peterson, I'm thinking of, where he said Christianity is more than true. Or I think he said the Bible is, is not only true, but it's more than true because it is led to all kinds of truth yes and it's like the foundation for truth itself and yes you know, he's saying this is a i don't think he's a believer maybe he's maybe he's close maybe he's i don't know everyone debates that but uh i, I think this is exactly the right way to look at it it's like how lewis uh, c.s lewis said i don't believe in the sun because i see it but because it, i see everything that else. was exactly the quote i was thinking of yeah, yes very mm -hmm. cool well that is really neat how you're portraying that now why come to a homeschool conference and and tell us about what that's been like for you 
partially because we enjoy homeschool conferences and we love the people that attend homeschool conferences. That's um, We grew up in that kind of a culture and it's a beautiful thing to see so many unique people coming together wanting to, um, to train their children in the way that they believe, no matter what way that is, and it's a beautiful thing to watch and get to take part in. So we love getting our books out to the people who might need them. Yeah. Well, Katie, where can our listeners find you and your books? I have a store that is postneighborslukesbooks.com, and then I also have a website under my name, and you can also find me on Amazon in both Kindle and regular book. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I am talking now to Shannon Mokri. She is a children's middle grade and YA author and writes a lot of uh, fantasy and kind of fairy tale type books and also books about how to write books. So Shannon, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, Well, I'm a homeschool mom and I've been homeschooling for about the past 10 years. Uh, I've lived in Texas for 24 years. I came from California. Yeah, I know. I'm one of those. (laughs) Well, you came a while ago, so that's okay. You didn't come I've, just last year. I've been here long enough. I like to say I got here as quick as I could and, and put down roots. All three of my babies were born here. And when I talk to other native Texans, I sound like a native Texan. Yeah. But, you know, my California roots show up when I talk normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my, I have a Texas accent that comes out once in a while. And uh, certain words will definitely bring it out. Like yesterday, I changed my oil on my car. I can't say that any other way than that well it's funny because you're from the austin area and austin is such a global community yeah that very few people have a thick texas accent that are from the general austin area they try to hide it (laughs) yeah well something you told me earlier that was interesting uh before we recorded was that uh your books are geared towards parents of special needs so so tell me about that it's hard to how to phrase this so that my uh, older children don't hear it and get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know a lot of people with special needs, and uh, we deal with um, certain issues today that uh, maybe fall on the spectrum now that we didn't uh, necessarily know was even possibly on the spectrum because it's changed. So there's a lot of talk about um, how many people have autism today compared to how many people had autism. But when you keep changing the definition of what makes someone autistic, your numbers are going to change too. But uh, whether I agree with the numbers or not, there are kids out there who are hurting because they're misunderstood. And I write books to kind of help parents and those around kids to kind of understand that um, yeah, I may be different or I may not be like you, but what you need is patience and you need to let us make our own mistakes. I think those are important things and messages kids need to hear. Uh, I've been telling people here at the conference, I write the stories that are the quiet conversations that kids maybe didn't know how to put into words but needed to hear. That's beautiful. And, and these books or these stories include dragons. So, so how does that work? Some of them do include dragons. That's right. So my youngest daughter was waking me up in the middle of the night and 
in true homeschool fashion, I put her brain to work. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what my wife does. Oh, you, you can't sleep? Oh, you're doing the dishes. Okay. But, but in your case, oh, you're writing a book. That's right. Well, I wrote the book. My brain was put to work too. But I was thinking, okay, so what topics do my kids need to ruminate on as they sleep? And uh, I needed a character that was um, ferocious enough to keep those bad dreams away. So she'd stay in her own bed and let me sleep. <laughs> and uh, still gentle enough to not be scary. So my main dragon is a bubble-blowing dragon. Oh, wow. So not fire-breathing, but bubble-blowing. Bu bubble-blowing. Because okay. how can you be scared of someone who blows dragons <laughs> that's or right. bubbles, right? Yeah, that's not scary at all. That's, uh, it's, right. it's funny. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but he's still a dragon. Yes. So he still emits some respect okay. to other creatures, right? So my first three books are all about Bubbles, the bubble-blowing dragon, and my daughter, Princess Charlotte. And then we pulled in a nephew or one of her cousins from out of state to help her feel closer to him. And they tackle difficult subjects like conflict resolution. But I don't tell kids that. That's between me and the, the parents. That's, that's a grown-up word. That's yeah. a grown-up word. What I tell kids is it's a fun adventure story with fairies and dragons. And they even have some pie. And don't worry, they let Bubbles have some pie, too. Yeah. <laughs> So why did you decide to use stories and, and stories involving bubble-blowing dragons to teach these lessons? Uh, why is that your, your method of uh, education with, with kids and parents? Well, the um, truth with books is, is that it's not when you read the book the first time that uh, any kind of message makes any impact on your life. It's as you read the book and you talk about the book and you think about the book and you dream about the book that it starts to impact your psyche. So especially telling a ch child a story in the middle of the night or at bedtime, their brains have time um, to work through some of these social issues that, you've, that they're thrown out in everyday life and that the book throws at them. And their brains have time to, to make connections that their um, awake brain doesn't have time for because we throw so much at our kids. And let's face it, as homeschooling parents, since life is learning, they might hit a few more things in any given day than maybe a kid who's in public school who can carmentalize. I only have to memorize this until the next test. Well, my kids don't get away with that. They have to master everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can't skimp on that when, uh, when you're homeschooling. So it, it's, uh, you're always getting a quiz in a sense. That's right. And uh, one of the fun things that I would do with my daughter is she wake me up. And if I just couldn't that night, I'm like, I want you to tell me what dra Bubbles the Dragon did in your dreams last night. <laughs> <laughs> Go back, lay back down and create your own adventure. That's great. Well, where can our listeners uh, find you and your books? So I have a website. It's sillygeesepublishing.com. Um, my books are all also on all the big book sites. I don't know if I can name all of them, but um, you can find me on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com. Target has a couple, you know, they're just kind of all over the place. You just type in my name, Shannon Mokri, and um, they'll pretty much all come up. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm talking now with Joseph Dindinger of Wise Path Books, an online bookstore that's based 
out of Austin. And uh, Joseph's got a great bookshelf. I w- again, I wish this was a video podcast. You could see he's got all kinds of uh, books and bookshelves, really beautiful, like uh, premium hardback books, a nice little fireplace and recliner chair here. So, Joseph, you definitely get points for the, the coziest looking uh, booth here. It's not even a booth. There's no table. But, uh, Joseph, tell us about yourself and tell us about your bookstore. Yeah, thank you, Zach. Um, yeah, it's not a, a booth, and uh, and our bookstore is is kind of the same thing where where it's not a very standard bookstore. It uh, it is an eclectic collection of books that uh, we believe are are essential for Christians. And um, in this booth right here, uh, what we've been trying to do is to just make a, a cozy atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You guys have an amazing booth as well. Oh, thanks. I'm looking at your nonfiction section. So you've got uh, prominently Live Not By Lies and Fault Lines, uh, books that my wife and I both went through last year, respectively. Uh, so some really good, um, you know, very uh, relevant books for the current time that we're in and sort of this uh, cultural revolution, as I've been calling it. Um, but then you've got a really great assortment of fiction books. So why, why include novels and, and particularly fantasy novels, uh, children's, you know, dragon stories. Why, why put those alongside nonfiction as essential for uh, for Christian living? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So, I think I think the answer to that is is in an author sort of like uh, like C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis writes a book like Mere Christianity, uh, but he comes to Christ by reading a book called Fantasties mm. by George MacDonald, right? And he says that that book baptized his imagination. And uh, God can get to us from from all all areas. And and a lot of the books that we sell are hardcore books for Christians. A, a non-believer would never never pick up a book like uh, you know the Benedict the Benedictine option you right. know, or something like that. But but they would pick up a a book that is not uh, that is a fantasy book or even a a, a lot of the books that we sell. Are by George MacDonald, and they're they're more uh, Victorian novels, uh, and and then there's some fantasies, and and they do pick up those books, and um, and then infused in them is is the gospel, is the uh, is the message of, of truth and beauty, and 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 uh, people people get hooked in all kinds of different ways to to God, and God can speak to them, and they want more of it, you know, and and they'll they'll get a good story, and. Um, so we're just hoping that through uh, really good books that people will, will either be solidified. And, and, and uh, our bookstore is more geared, I think, towards Christians, but um, non-believers uh, as well will find a lot of things. We have classics there, oh, Greek and Roman classics and uh, things of that nature. And so I think that God can speak to us in, in almost anywhere. And if it's good art... Um, I think it was Madeline, uh, what's, how do you say Madeline Langle? Yes, Madeline yeah. Langle, who said that what defines Christian art is if it's good. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And uh, if it's bad art, it's not Christian art. You there know? You go. And so, That's a great way of thinking of that. Because, I mean, what did God say when he created the world? It is good. You know, it, it is, is very so. good. Yes. Yeah. So our, our, crea- our own creations uh, should reflect that. That goodness and that beauty, and not just the truth, but we need all all of the above. So, as you've been meeting with parents and um, uh, homeschool families, homeschool kids, tell us about some of those conversations uh, around these books. So, you know, 
we're in here, and, and I think uh, we're in a, we have books that are a little bit older for for uh, for parents. This is a homeschool conference, and, and a lot of parents are just starting out with little kids. But for the parents that have teenagers and, and are getting into that, they have a lot of things in the world, right? They have, of course, the media, but uh, the books that are pushed in the world, many of them have a, a very uh, humanistic, uh, some sometimes even nihilistic message. And so uh, Christians want a, a good message. And so a lot of times they're coming, they, they have that, that innate desire of, of the good message, but they know that they need to sell these books to their kids. And it's an amazing, you know, it's not, you, you can't force your kid to like something. You can't force your kid to read a book. You might be able to force them to sit and watch a, a movie, but you can't force them to get through a book, right? And so that's what they want. They say, you know, uh, some we have some comics, we have some uh, things of that nature, and, and they're saying, I want something that my kid will like. He, you know, they like fantasy, they like uh, mysteries, they like whatever they like, and so we're sort of directing them. A lot of times we're directing them to the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we sold a lot of Narnia, we sold uh, uh, Wing Feather Saga, um, we haven't sold any Tolkien for some reason today, but uh, I think that's because everybody probably has it already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, tell us about, uh, you, you mentioned George MacDonald, uh, some of his books. You mentioned Fantasties. So I, I have not read uh, George MacDonald yet. Uh, what, what can you tell me about, about his books and kind of why those left such a strong impression on C.S. Lewis? Yeah. So, yeah, so Lewis, Lewis calls him his master. He says, uh, he says he's never written anything that he didn't quote MacDonald. And if you read... Mm. Um, his uh, his allegory of heaven and hell. McDonald's is actually a character in that book. I don't know mm. if you've uh, read that. It's it's called the Great Divorce. It's a, it's okay, a fantastic yeah. book. Yeah. Um, and uh, what McDonald does is he's a masterful storyteller. Now that's different than a masterful uh, writer. It's some people would say he's not a very good writer because he's very verbose, right? Mm. And back then. They used to be paid by the word, so I don't. That's, you know, a, that's <laughs> the style. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but he was uh, he was writing in Victorian uh, England and Scotland at the time, and so he writes stories that are today considered historical fiction, um, for the most part. And they're, I mean, they're my favorite books. Uh, my my favorite book is called Sir Gibby, and and um, it's difficult to categorize because it is a real setting. But the things that happen, it, it's like uh, um, there's, there's been uh, Auden, I think, W.H. Uh, Auden called McDonald the last great myth maker. It's because he can infuse fantasy into a realistic setting. It's oh, like, so kind of like magic realism. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and, and so you, you're left with a sense of you can look around and you see sort of like the real world in a different light after you've read McDonald. I can sit down with a McDonald novel and it calls my spirit it, and, and, and I'm left with a desire to be closer to God, to be a better man. And, uh, and something about that is just transcended in his books that is not, I haven't found in, in many other places. And I think Lewis really was onto uh, some of that. And uh, anyway. Well, that, that whole sense of, um, transcendence you know what what that's lewis and tolkien had a discussion about uh fiction as escape Mm -hmm. you know because a lot of people say well you know a fantasy book or whatever it's just escapism and uh this conversation between lewis and tolkien was so illuminating because tolkien says to him well 
who do you think would be against the idea of escape? A jailer. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and if you look at it that way, it's, it's the duty of a prisoner to escape. Yeah. And it's, there's so many things in this world that are holding us hostage. You know, whether you want to talk about, you know, big media, big tech, big government, whatever. There are so many forces that are just holding us hostage in our minds and our attention. Mm-hmm. And what you just described of this book drawing you closer to God, calming you down. I mean, how much does um, everything now is like running on dopamine yeah. and that just keeps you awake and keeps you anxious. But a story like the one you described is, is it kind of, uh, it, it brings you to that, that calmer place, that closeness with God that, um, you know, the, the sp- he's not given us a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. right? But a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. And so yeah. uh, a story from a Christian author should kind of help you feel that way. So that's, um, yeah. That, that's exactly the kind of story that, you know, those are exactly the kind of books that we love to talk about on this podcast. And so it's really cool that you're, you're bringing these classics, you know, back from the past because, uh, Hey, you know, it, we don't always need something new. Sometimes we just need a new understanding of something old yeah. um, and we need to bring something back that may have been forgotten. So I, I love that you're doing that. The, the covers on those books look incredible. Um, so again, it just looks like a very, looks like your bookstore looks very, very cozy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. To your point, uh, Lewis, I forget is it's in an introduction to, um, to a classic book. He says, every time you read a new book, you should go back afterwards and read an old book, Mm. you know? So you should switch off like that because he says everybody, everybody writing today is kind of writing in the same, in the same vein, in the same mindset. And you got to go back to old classics and uh, and read them in order to uh, in order to kind of break free of that. I'm I'm a firm believer in that. That's awesome. So Joseph, where can our listeners find your bookstore? It's just wisepathbooks.com. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, and thank uh, you. everybody, go check out wisepathbooks.com. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. All right, we're talking to Matt Ludak from Lamplighter Ministries. And uh, tell us about uh, Lamplighter and, and this, this bookstore you're running over here. It looks awesome. With the, uh, Once again, it's a set of uh, uh, old-fashioned books that are kind of being revitalized with beautiful uh, premium hardback covers, uh, like, like our last guest has some of those. So tell us about the books that you sell, Matt. Uh, well, Lamplighter Ministries was started about 25 years ago, and they uh, really had a heart for republishing uh, these books from the golden age of Christian literature, even though it wasn't really called Christian literature at that time, uh, from the 1800s mostly, uh, some a little bit earlier, some a little bit later. But, uh, but these are great stories that were written from a biblical worldview and uh, just full of rich language, you know, great character development, and really um, demonstrating both good and bad uh, character qualities. Um, but they, you know, the stories just have an extra level of depth and uh, they really can um, reveal uh, character uh, and uh, our relationship with the Lord and, uh, and issues of faith. And so we, you know, we've read them aloud as a family for about 20 years now. And, uh, and our, our kids also read them. And uh, they're just really at the heart of, of our home education and, uh, and what we do. You know, it's just, a, it's just a, been a very sweet thing, you know, to draw us together as a family and also to increase our faith. What's the most recent book that you guys have read together as a family? Uh, there's one called The Spiral Staircase, and uh, it is an incredible story uh, about a man who he takes a train and shows up at this town uh, by a coast, by the coast, 
and there is a castle and there's a lot of history uh, to this town that people go there to for getaways and it looks like he's uh, is, uh, kind of getting away from something and having a fresh start but you don't really know what that is uh, but then as the story develops he's staying at this castle which is sort of partly in ruins and he ends up encountering all these people that he's grown up with or known because they're going there to for a time of getaway and then there's all these uh, interactions and things that happen trying to reveal what has happened to him and why he's there and it also has to do with the kind of the history of the castle and and what's going on there and uh, and then all the relationships and it's it's an incredible story it has an element of mystery to it uh, but at the heart of it you know it's it's a man uh, discovering you know where he can you know where he can recover from from a hard hard situation and he ends up really getting drawn um, deeper into his faith, having a fresh start. And it's, uh, it's a really powerful story. Hmm. That's, that sounds great. Uh, I was talking to your son when I visited your booth, and I said, you know, what, what kind of stories do you have here that are, you know, kind of fantastical in nature? And you mentioned two. One is the, the unseen hand, and the other one was called the, the haunted room. Mm-hmm. So tell me what those stories were about. Those sounded really cool. Well, the hidden hand is uh, oh, hidden hand. Thank yeah, you. yeah. The hidden hand is pretty much our all-time favorite family read. I mean, it's an incredible story um, that's uh, set in the Virginia area um, a long time ago. Um, but uh, multiple different characters. Uh, basically, you know, there's a, a young girl who is a street urchin. That, that's kind of um, there's a whole story about how she uh, how she got to be on her own like that and what her parentage is. And that's how the story just jumps right into it. And then all these other characters, uh, both good and bad, um, and how they are all related to her and her inheritance. I mean, it is a wild ride of all these unexpected. And when we were reading this as a family, we would literally have to stay up until about midnight because you would end you would end each chapter, <laughs> and uh, and then you no we can't end there. <laughs> so I mean you know our our whole family loves it and uh, you know at the heart of it is you're discovering you see the hidden hand of God in each one of these characters' lives both you know the ones that are evil and and also the one you see them you know fighting fighting against these characters and you see their character being tested through hard circumstances and. It's amazing those that uh, that persevere and uh, and you, you really admire their character and you learn from and there's one character in particular called Capitola who is like this spark this fiery young girl the one that was started out as a street urchin and then ends up becoming part of this family when she discovers her family that is very well off and having privileges but she doesn't she never loses this sort of like sort like kind of hardiness, like be able to provide for herself, but she kind of rides that line, you know, of not, but she's able to be within the context of a family and not just be hardened by her experiences. And it's really, it's really sweet to see the transformation that happens. In her. Yeah, that sounds like a great book for a family. Uh, tell me about the, is it The Hidden Room was the other one? The Haunted Room. The Haunted Room. Thank the you. Haunted Room kind of has a similar feel to, to the other uh, book. It's a, it's a family that inherits uh, a house that has this reputation for being haunted. So they, you know, they kind of don't buy into all that. Um, but then they discover, that, you know, as they, as they get there and they kind of discover why this legend happened. And there's also, you know, there's some reasons why uh, that, that uh, this legend is there. And it turns out, of course, that, they, that it's not truly haunted, but, but they're, they were trying to portray that to, there were some backdoor dealings and, 
and things that had happened that needed to get exposed, and, and they were able to do that, and this family is able to come together around, around that and, uh, and you know, receive this inheritance and then also kind of restore that house to its rightful, you know, rightful owner. So, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, your son told me what he really liked about that book is it pointed him towards the, the, the haunted or the hidden rooms that, of, his, of his soul, the, the, the places that he tries to keep a God out of. And, and so it really shows him how you got to give your whole self to God. And so I, I thought that was a really neat takeaway from that. So yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of really good lessons in these books, and uh, which, which sort of answers my next question. But, you know, you guys read these books as a family. You know, there, there's only so much time and there's only so many things we can do as a family. So why, why read these classic books? Why, why read fiction and why read these fiction well, the reason that, you know, we just sort of started it on a lark. Someone had recommended we try it about 20 years ago. We started with these lamplighter books. And it just, uh, it ended up being so engaging for our family. You know, we didn't want to do other forms of entertainment. Or, you know, and, we, and it was something that ended up just really bringing our family together. And then it also created kind of a, um, a form of interaction with our family where we could refer to the characters in these different books. And, uh, and we know what we're talking about when we're dealing with you know, various things in our, in our own family, relationships or you know, uh, faith issues. And, and we have, it gives us kind of a foundation for something to refer to. All these amazing stories now that we have you know, 200 plus you know, uh, books that we've, that we've read together out loud like that. And it's, it kind of gives us a common language or reference point. Um, so yeah, it's really... Yeah, almost really, like a shorthand. Uh-huh. Um, so that... I'm a Star Trek guy and a Star Wars guy. One of my favorite Star Trek episodes is Darmok, where they, they meet this species that only talks in stories. Uh-huh. And it, you know, it's how they communicate everything that they want to say is by just referring to these kind of moments from stories. But I love that, that that is a, a shared language that y'all have as a family. And then, and it's like you said, um, so many families just don't want to be a part of the modern media establishment. Uh, you know, Disney has been in the news a lot lately in a bad sort of way. Hey, we don't always need the latest show, the latest story. Sometimes there are classic stories that generations of Christians have enjoyed, and so it's great to re uh, rediscover those and, and read those together. And it sounds like that can be just as entertaining as binging the next Netflix show. Mm-hmm. That it can keep you up at late at night, just like you know whatever the latest thing is on streaming. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it sounds like a really fun way uh, for families um, to to enjoy those stories together. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. And where can our listeners find uh, the Lamplighter Bookstore? Uh, well, you just go to uh, Lamplighter, uh, lamplighter.net, and they've got a great website there. And they, they have both um, all the books. They also have audio, dramatic audio books, which are really powerful as well, awesome. um, that you can get either downloadable or CDs of those. And those are, those are basically dramatic. The same people that do uh, focus on the family that do a lot of theirs are, are the same actors in these. And so oh, that's great. They're, they're big they're, fans of them. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. They're really well done. All right. Well, that's lamplighter.net. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. Sure. Glad to be here. Our last guest today is Chris Elston from Shine Light Press, and he's an author of fantasy. Uh, Chris, tell us about what you write. Uh, well, I've got two different book series. Uh, one is The Four Corners, and it's going to be a trilogy. I've got The Four Corners and Four Corners of Darkness out now. And Four Corners of Winter will come up next. Uh, and it's basically uh, kind of like in the Narnia books where 
um, a family is transported to another world. In this case, it's a world called Kadash, which is a Hebrew, Hebrew word that means set apart. Of course, in the Bible, it means, you know, the Jewish people were set apart. But in this case, the, the families that get brought to this world end up on four separate islands. And uh, when they are transported, they're kind of falling apart. The parents are uh, on the brink of divorce. And in this scenario, they kind of realize how much they love each other and want to be together. And so it's a, the, the adventure comes with them trying to get to the other islands and find each other. And they fight through... Uh, all kinds of crazy weather and they fight wild animals and uh, also monsters. So, uh, yeah. Well, I like that. It's, it's a family that's fighting through uh, danger to fighting to get back together. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I imagine that resonates very powerfully with uh, homeschool families and uh, pe- people that care about strong families. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the core message of it is that yeah. family is super important and, you know, we need to fight to, to, follow God's rules on how to keep it together and relationships are important. We have a relational God. So, Well, something I noticed at your booth I really liked is that uh, you have a study guide that goes along with these books. So, That's right. So tell us about that and how does that work with the stories? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, my, my wife has over 20 years in the classroom as a private school teacher. She wrote a, um, a novel study to go along with the first book and she's going to write one for the second book as well. And we also wrote together a group study that's meant for families to, to study together. And so that's kind of what Shine a Light does. Uh, we try to focus on the educational aspects of the books and bring that out. And in, in some cases, we even pull out different elements other than just the literary stuff. Uh, in a lot of cases, we pull out history lessons and science and all kinds of stuff. So. So let me ask you this. Why not just do the study guides? Like, why, why did you decide to also write these novels? The books are, I mean, novels are something I've just always wanted to do. I actually spent about 15 years in L.A. trying to be a screenwriter and uh, got got some, some work and got to do what I loved and actually get paid for it. But uh, books were always on my heart, and eventually I wanted to get back to family, and I'd started dating my now wife, and wanted to get up back up to Washington State at the time to to actually date her for real because we'd been dating long distance and so I decided to leave Hollywood and focus on the books and that's kind of where it came from so yeah yeah. and and what do you like about stories in in terms of conveying these like these lessons and these messages about families like what what do you think is uniquely powerful about stories well I think if you can write relatable characters then you can really um, get people thinking you know if they can relate to the characters um, I always say the most interesting stories take ordinary people and put them in extraordinary circumstances and there's just a lot of lessons that you can teach through that because people are connecting to the characters and so they can kind of wonder you know how would they react in that scenario and, and things like that so that's great uh, any other books that you're you're working on or you want to talk about? Um, real quick, I also have uh, another series called The Gift of the Elements, and that's about uh, young people that start developing the ability to control an element. So there's right now I have The Gift of Tyler, which is Earth, uh, The Gift of Rio, which is Water, and I have outlined but haven't written yet uh, Wind and Fire. So, and and what are the uh, the themes and the messages that you're conveying through those stories? Uh, those are primarily about finding God's purpose. I mean, I think that we all have some kind of gift in us that comes from, from the Lord. And uh, so the point is to figure out what that is and then 
use it the way he intends you to use it. That sounds awesome. So Chris, where can our listeners find you and your books? Uh, shinalightpress.com and pretty much wherever books are sold. Shinalightpress.com is the, the most direct route, though. But Perfect. yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. Well, that's so. great. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, to you, our listener, especially if you're joining us for the first time on Fantastical Truth, uh, if you came to us uh, from the homeschool convention or just the kind of the wider homeschool community, we hope you've enjoyed all these interviews with authors, publishers, and book distributors. I think as you've seen from these interviews, there's a wide variety of options to find the books uh, for yourself and for your children of all different ages and genre interests. I particularly like uh, the interviews where we talked about books that the whole family can read together or, you know, books that are for very young children and uh, have the Christian worldview uh, either there overtly or there kind of in the background. I think these are all very family-friendly books that a lot of homeschool families can get on board with. And, you know, a lot of these stories are just going uh, very imaginative ways, like finding a, a drawing of a grenade in Charles Dickens' uh, journal. I think that was my favorite uh, kind of mental picture from uh, author Aaron Grubin. That was a really fun story. And uh, But I just, you know, I loved actually seeing these books, Stephen, these premium hardcover books uh, that were from the 17 or 1800s, and now they've been reprinted. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that I think we're hitting the the second golden age of Christian uh, fiction, Christian fantasy. We've already had kind of that first golden age as we heard from uh, uh, Matt Ludek from Lamplighter. Let's hope that we're in, we're in a new golden era of fiction. Right on the cusp of that. I would love to see that happen in my lifetime. Maybe this terraforming project won't take as long as I originally surmised, but hey, if it takes a few generations to make sure that God-glorifying, fantastical stories are the default genre that Christians enjoy, along with, of course, the Bible, first of all, and nonfiction after that, then I'd be perfectly happy, perfectly happy to see that. Just seeing all of this stuff, uh, all of these wonderful creators at these conferences uh, makes me feel at once at home and also a little envious because at home, I can remember uh, kind of the, uh, well, the cusp of this uh, little homeschool revolution. Uh, already making me into the person that I am today. But now I feel a little envious seeing all of these resources and just imagining, wow, if all of this had been available when I was a kid, uh, then how much nerdier would I be even now? (laughs) Uh, Who knows? uh, We may be able to advance that terraforming project even faster. But it is God's timing for when he wants his people to get hold of this older wisdom, these older resources, and of course, a more biblical motivation for Christian fantasy. That's up to his providence. Uh, We can only be side characters in his story with Jesus as the hero. Thanks for listening to Laura. Even as Zach said, uh, if you've not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Leave us a rating, of course, if you like. Uh, Go back to our episodes. uh, Check out especially the ones we did uh, just a couple months ago, talking to S.D. Smith and Phil Lawler and uh, Megan Basham and others. And of course, subscribe to Lorehaven. That's the way you enter the Lorehaven Guild exclusive community. Just go to lorehaven.com and find the pop-up, enter your name, We do new book reviews of Christian-made fantasy, the best we can find every Friday, as well as new podcast episodes every Tuesday and articles throughout the week. Well, I mentioned that we are taking some time to ourselves after the conference, which means that we have not had time to go over all those blinking lights from backed-up holographic messages from Fantastical Truth listeners over at the comm station. So we're going to wait on that for this episode. I can say, however, that next on Fantastical Truth, we are planning more episodes for the spring season of 2022. 
including a look at the resurrection through the eyes of an apologist who loves Christian imagination. We're also going to be talking to at least one more homeschooler as I'm planning at least two more homeschool conferences. Well, at least one more homeschool conference. Hopefully I'll get to two in addition to the Real Makers Conference this summer. We'll be talking with uh, one uh, graduated homeschool student who loves reading these kinds of stories and can speak more from the inside about why Christian homeschool families love these so much. We're also hoping to explore a little bit more of that topic uh, we accidentally set up earlier, talking about Disney and these efforts to make uh, Christian or culturally conservative alternatives to the mouse uh, that increasingly has become the mouse Borg trying to assimilate Christian worldview uh, in service to this more sexual worshiping worldview. Uh, that's been done before, these Christian alternatives, but now more people are talking about them, and we are reaching out to the creators behind at least one of these big efforts just recently announced, and hope to have an update for you shortly here on Fantastical Truth. Meanwhile, whether you're a homeschooler or a Christian schooler or a public schooler still hanging in there, please know that we are praying for you. We are supporting you, Christian parents, in whatever you feel called to do to educate your children we just hope that you will educate them as the conference title says that you'll be teaching them diligently. You'll be not just introducing them to moral virtue, but introducing them to Jesus, the hero of this true fantastical story. And it's him we serve as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>